Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We'll be talking about servanthood today because during the week I was uh, thinking we're going to go off to another subject. But then again, kind of just rose up within me. I want you to preach from Matthew 24. I said, okay, well, let's do it. And so this is lesson number four, I think, which will be the last one on servanthood. And we're going to share that with you this morning. Our opening text being Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 42 and read right on through 51. Notice the first two words that Jesus uses here. Watch, therefore. For you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Notice faithful and wise servant. Whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant, notice evil servant, shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of and shall cut him asunder and appoint him in his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you were to look at the end of John's gospel, you'll see that Jesus before going to Calvary gave a discourse about the advent of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15, 16, he talked about the Holy Ghost coming to take his place to be the comforter counselor helper advocate intercessor strengthener and standby he would guide you into all the truth he'll speak to you what he hears of the father he'll show you things to come so the emphasis of john was the holy spirit's advent but now you hear matthew's perspective and he's coming from a different direction he says watch therefore jesus is now telling people to watch Because he's emphasizing his second coming. And he's emphasizing readiness. So he's now preaching or teaching on watchfulness and readiness. Because he's going to be coming again. And why did Jesus do this or emphasize this also? Matthew picked up on it. Because he understood human nature. He knew that the way a person views the future would affect the way he lives in the present. And so this is what he says. There's two different mindsets that exist in a servant's life. And we're all servants of the Most High God. We'll see that in just a moment. But the one servant, what did he say? He's living his life as if his master is coming when? Immediately. He sees that he's going to come at any moment. But the other mindset was, my Lord is delaying his coming. And he lives his life as if his master is delaying his coming. Jesus said the first perspective, someone was wise and faithful, 
to maintain it. But he said the second perspective he considers to be evil. That mindset is an evil mindset. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. Because I'm living, I believe we're living in a day and age right now where some things have just been abused with regard to the grace of God. So, in Matthew's gospel, we see this teaching. And I want to point out some truths that will help us better understand what it means to be a wise and faithful servant. So, number one, the wise and faithful servant is someone who views himself as a servant. And look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 22. But now being made free from sin. Has anybody here been made free from sin? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? You have been. That means you've been liberated from sin. The power of sin is gone. You don't have, sin has no power over you any longer, right? But notice the next few words. And become servants to God. So if you've been made free from sin, then you and I have been made servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So what is that saying to all of us? If we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, then we've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. We belong to God and we are His servants. So thank God we are here to serve Him. Number two, He lives His life as though His Master Jesus can come any moment. It's that kind of a mindset. And so therefore His conduct, His character, His behavior, His attitude are all based on the fact that he might come when? Before we leave this church building. Do you remember the video that we showed some time ago? You can pick it up on the internet if you like. And the preacher's standing there. He's got his Bible open like this here. He's talking about the end times. He's talking about the rapture of the church. He's got about a hundred young people that are there in the, in the congregation that he's preaching to. While he's walking back and forth and preaching just like this. And he's talking about the coming. He said, you know, Jesus can come back because we know Israel's become a nation in 1948. We know all the things are in place for him to come back again. He can come back during the fall feast. He could have come back last year. There are many predictions when he's going to come back. He can come back this year in the fall feast, possibly in September or that sort of thing. And he's just talking about that. Or he can come back and boom. And 98% of the people are gone in the room. And these other few are like... Looking around just like that. Then they drop to the floor in their faces. They know they missed the rapture of the church and they're left behind. And why am I saying that? Because that's how quick it is. That's how fast it is. There's no time to get ready when that happens. And so we know we're living in a time when the return of our Lord is imminent. Which means he can come before you go to bed at night tonight. Before we walk out of this church building. Which would be a delight. He can come. Right? So he's living his life as though. Jesus could come any moment. And look at Titus. Chapter 2 verse 11 through 13. It gives us some understanding as to how a servant of the Lord should be living his or her life. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us. Teaching us what? That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world or age. Looking for that blessed hope. You see the readiness here? See the watchfulness here? He's looking for that blessed hope and appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, we're living with expectancy, in other words. And because we know He can come at any moment, 
There's no time to have ought against anybody in your heart. There's no time uh, to get involved with worldly things and engage in things that are sinful in the sight of the Lord. There's no time to have conflict with people and etc. etc. This is the point he's making. This guy has a readiness of mind. He is watchful. He's wise and faithful, this servant, to see to it that he knows he can come in an hour, in a moment, in a minute. And so therefore, all his decisions, all his choices are based on that kind of mindset or mentality. I'm going to live my life that way is what he's saying. Next, number three. He puts forth effort to resist sin. Go to the book of Genesis chapter 39. And we have a perfect example of somebody who was a servant who resisted sin. And as a result of his resisting sin and demonstrating godly character was promoted to the, one of the highest positions that there was to be promoted to. His name is Joseph. And he's a perfect example of someone being a servant of God. Look at what it says. Came to pass after these things. He's in Potiphar's, Potiphar's house watching over everything. He has authority there. That his master's wife. Potiphar's wife. Cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife. Behold. My master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So there he was. She made him an offer. She would have kept it hush-hush. But as far as he was concerned, number one, I'm a servant of God. I am not going to sin against him. Number two, I'm a servant of man. I'm not going to sin against man and do this wickedness in the sight of the Lord my God. So he made a decision to do the right thing, which got him in trouble because he was then accused of raping her. And then he was thrown in prison. And you know the story of Joseph. But even in the place of prison, because he stood for righteousness, godliness, holiness, and truth. In that place, God still brought him out. And as you go on, look at the, another here, chapter um, 41 and verse 37. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this a man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God had showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art, he's now a wise and faithful servant, thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. How is it that he was able to stand against all this? Because he lived his life with the understanding that his God was watching him every moment. And here's what happened. God gave him a dream that he was going to be in a position of high authority. And his focus and attention was on that dream. Because he had that desire in his heart, he acted accordingly. Even though he was in prison, he still didn't give up the hope of the dream being fulfilled in his life. Well, that was him. And you might think, well, that was him. He had something to look forward to. But what about you and what about me? Look at First John chapter 3. He made him a ruler in his house. And he was second in command to the Pharaoh himself. But you know what? You and I have a dream too. Are you ready for it? Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. 
for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committed sin transgresses all the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. What is he saying? Do we have this hope? This future hope of one day being as he is in a glorified state where he says, I'll make you ruler over much. You are demonstrating wisdom and faithfulness when you were on the earth to watch over the goods that I gave to you or entrusted to you. And you were faithful in doing that. Now I'm going to take you to a higher level. I'm going to exalt you to a higher place and you'll be in a glorified state. I'm going to make you ruler. Can you imagine what he's going to make you ruler over for your faithfulness here on the earth? We have no clue. We have no idea. But there's so much that's out there that God has for each and every one of him that is faithful to do his will and to be a wise and faithful servant. Look at the next, number four. He is vigilant to do the things that God has expected of him to do. And that's for each and every one of us. I mean, I thank God we've accepted Christ as our Savior. He is the Lord of our lives. But we realize, we must realize that we're servants. And we still need to serve him as we live our lives upon the earth. And this will help us focus. Now, number one. He's expecting us to get baptized in water and baptized in the spirit. Look at Acts chapter 19. This is something he expects from all of us. I've had people say, well, I've been baptized in water when I was a baby. I know, but you didn't make a confession of Jesus Christ when you were a baby, just like I didn't when I was a baby. But when I got older and I made Christ the Lord of my life, I got baptized in water out of obedience to demonstrate that I have faith in Christ and an inward work of grace took place in me. This is an outward expression of it. I got baptized in water out of obedience to do what God requires of me as a servant. But here you see both of these. To be baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Ghost. And really, to be honest with you, it's not an option. It's really a command. But it's up to us to determine whether or not we're going to be wise and faithful or kind of foolish. Look at what it says. Came to pass that while Paulus was at Corinth. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said to them, Under what baptism were you baptized? And they said unto him, uh, John's baptism. Then said, John fully, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should be believed on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, notice number one, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's their salvation. Number two, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. They were baptized in the Holy Ghost. And next week, Lord willing, we may talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and the need for it for, in every person's life. But anyhow, that's one thing. Those two things right there is an act of obedience as a servant. Number two, look at B, point B is that he expects us to assemble ourselves together as we are here today. Your being here is a part of your serving the Lord. Being here today, honoring him, fellowshipping with people of like precious faith. Look in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. You know what that means? It means give that person next to you an elbow. Provoke him to love and good works. Poke him. You know they say, poke the bear, don't poke the bear. You're going to get them upset. Well, poke them unto love and good works. You poke the bear. Remember, love and good works. 
love and good works. That's why we gather together like this. Because we need each other. And someone says, well, I could be just as good of a Christian. No, you can't. You can't because you're dishonoring your master. And your master says, look at the next verse. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We are so close to his coming right now, we can taste it, can't we? We know it's right around the corner. And all the more we're supposed to be gathering ourselves together, provoking one another to love and to good works, to serve the Lord. Why is it? Because we're living in a fallen world. And it's easy to get lost in a fallen world and start getting influenced by what's in this world and going down a wrong path. Can you say amen to that? It's easy to get caught up in the world, the devil, and the flesh. We've got three against us, the world, the devil, and the flesh. And it's easy for us to gravitate that way. And so what are we supposed to do? Provoke one another to love and to good works. Let love prevail. You know how easy it is to let selfishness prevail? But he says, no, let love prevail in your life. Praise God. That's what we all should be doing. Look at the next one. Witness for, I'm sorry, financially. Serving, actually serving the Lord with our finances. And whenever I teach on this subject, and you, you know, if you've been here at any length of time, you know that I have never from this pulpit ever begged for money. Can you say amen to that? Never, never, never. And guess what? We're a debt-free church. We're a debt-free facility. All the bills are paid. All the needs are met. We're able to help out supporting other ministries and other works around the world as a result of it because of your faithfulness to give. Okay. But what I have taught is what ways are we to honor God as a servant with our giving? Number one, the tithe. Number two, offerings. Number three, giving to the poor. And number four, giving love gifts. And there's a teaching right there that Malachi, three, or Malachi tells us, will a man rob God? How will he rob God, you say? In tithes and offerings. Notice he said a man, not a nation. There's no time to elaborate and teach on that right now because that's not my message. But to serve him with our finances is very important because where your treasure is, your heart is also. You've heard me say, I sold my house to pay my tithe. Amen. And there's so much more to say about that. But anyhow, look at the next one. And this is so essential. Be a witness for Jesus. You're a servant. I'm a servant. What am I doing? The father's business. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. If any man be in Christ, are you in Christ? You're a new creation. You're a new creation. You're a new creature. You're a new species that never before existed. You're not religious. You, you're not, you didn't just go through some ceremonies. Ceremonies won't get you into heaven. But being born again, when the life of God comes into your spirit and recreates your spirit, you become a child of God, washed in the blood of the Lamb. You are a new creature, creature, new creation that never before existed. All things pass away. All things became new. All things are of God who reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given unto us has given unto us has given unto us what the ministry of reconciliation he has given all of us the ministry of reconciliation to wit which means to make it known that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation now then we are ambassadors for Christ would you say this with me I'm an ambassador for Christ you know what an ambassador is a representative of the highest order. Man, you are an important individual. You're a representative of the highest order. An ambassador for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. 
We pray you in Christ's stead that you be reconciled to God, for he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we'd be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Beautiful section of scriptures. You and I are ambassadors for Christ, representatives of the highest order. We're here on this earth, and we have a circle of influence anywhere we go in life. And we're supposed to be those among the others as well that do what? Let people know they're reconciled to God. They don't have to be lost in their sins. They don't have to die and be separated from God for eternity. That they could spend their eternity with Him in glory. All they've got to do is choose. It's, be, it's up to them to choose. Serve the Lord. But that's our ministry. So we're, we as servants are to minister that way to people and serve the Lord our God. Okay, next. Notice uh, number five. He serves faithfully until his master comes. In other words, this is an ongoing thing. It's not something that happened 10 years ago and now I'm not doing anything for the Lord. But I am serving him faithfully every day of my life. And I'm doing it until the master comes. Remember he said because he has this mindset. He can come next week. He can come next hour. He can come next minute. He can come next second. And so therefore I realize the decisions that I make right now are based on the fact that he can come. So I'm going to serve him faithfully every day of my life. I'm going to honor him, live for him, and do all these things we just mentioned right here. In the book of Ecclesiastes, you might, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, look at verse 10. You say, if I'm going to serve him, then in what way can I serve him? I can't think of a better answer than this one. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, no device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. What's he saying? Man, whatever your hand finds to do for the Lord, do it. Because once you get to the grave, it's too late. There's nothing more you can do. That's it. Your opportunity is gone. It's past. Look at James 4, 14. I've gl- I'm sorry. We'll read that first. I've glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gave me to do. This is Jesus speaking. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that you gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And that's exactly what the Father did for Jesus. And so if Jesus was here on a mission, if Jesus had a work to fulfill, if Jesus was the suffering servant who served his father this way, who did everything he was told to do and asked to do, if Jesus did that, how much more is it that you and I should do the same thing? Whatever my hand finds to do, just go ahead and do it. When I first got saved and I went into a church that was a Pentecostal church, I had no idea because I came out of a church that didn't teach that. I didn't know what to do, but I played the guitar. So I, picked, I told the preacher I played guitar. He said, well, then join us in the worship team. I said, okay. And as time went on, he says, um, you teach a Bible study in your home? Yeah. He said, would you teach a Bible study here at the church? I said, okay. I'd be glad to do whatever you want me to do. If he would have said, would you sweep the floor? I'd have said, yep, that's fine. Would you clean the bathrooms? Yep, that's fine. Whatever it is your hand finds to do. You see, the thing is, when you show yourself to God as a servant, he will use you. It'll start there and despise not the day of small beginnings because he'll take you down the path that he has for your life and it will unfold little by little. You don't just start off in the pulpit. You start off in the bathroom. Okay. Look at the evil servant. The evil servant. Number one. He's presumptuous in his thinking. He lives his life based on the fact that Jesus hasn't come for 2,000 years. You know how many times I've heard that from people? 
It's been 2,000 years and he still hasn't come. So I've got my whole lifetime ahead of me. I can get it right whenever I want to get it right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Jesus said that is an evil mentality. Did you hear that? That is an evil mentality. You know why? Every single one of us has something that we can use to the honor and the glory of God. As a matter of fact, if he removed his hand from us, it'd be all over for every single one of us. If he removed his grace from us, there's nothing we could do on this planet. Do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar when he thought he was so smart and so big and so prideful and he said all this stuff I done with my hands and God took his hand off of him. He became like an animal. He lost his power. He lost his privilege. He lost everything that he had. He's like an animal now living out in the wilderness and so on and so forth. You remember the story. And finally he came to his sense and realized that without God he's nothing. No matter what we achieve in this life without him we are nothing. No matter amount of intelligence comes from ourselves it comes from him. Now you may study but he gives us the ability. And so we have to recognize and acknowledge that all that we have has come from him. So what do we do? We dedicate it back to him to, to be used to honor him and glorify him as we live our lives upon the earth. So this man, he's thinking, I've got a whole lot of time for me to get it right with God or to serve God. Maybe when I'm a little bit older, I'll serve God. I was just teaching Friday at our healing class and I was teaching about longevity and I was talking about how, you know, how we think when you're growing up, when you were 20, you probably thought 50 was old. When you were 30, you thought 60 was old. When you got to be 40, you thought 70 was old. Now that you're 67, nothing's old. Can you say amen? amen. But it's, it's all relative. You understand it's all relative? It's the way we think. It's the way we see things because we think that's old. You go back and, and, and people will say, well, if God gives you 70 years or 80 years, we're really... To be honest with you, in Genesis chapter 6, it talks about the number of man days being 120. So if it's 120, then 60 is only halfway there, right? But we think, okay, the 90s old, 100s old, okay? But comparatively speaking, relatively speaking, go back before the flood, 950, Methuselah, 969, 930. Uh, what about Enoch, 365, who was translocated, translated to heaven? right so when you look at those ages then you think old in the in the millennium you'll be a hundred and a baby considered a baby imagine that so when you put this all together you find out that my goodness it's all relative it's the way we think so if you think you're getting old at 50 you're going to get older quickly you better start as a man thinks in his heart so is he start thinking young praise God start thinking Shh, don't tell this to Krista, okay? <laughs> she told me, someone needs to paint our bedroom. I said, I'll do it. She goes, that was 20 years ago you did it. You were 47 then. You're not going up on that ladder. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I'll be on the ladder. <laughs> I'm climbing the ladder, praise God. I'm not going to, uh-uh, there's no way. And it's your family and closest friends will tell you, you shouldn't be doing that, you're told to do that. Don't tell me I can't shovel my driveway. I don't believe in snow blowers. You might have one, that's okay, but I'm the blower of the snow. That's my exercise, praise God. I get a lot of exercise, I love doing that. Can you say amen? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So it's easy to think wrong, and all of a sudden, things will begin to react on you. Where was I? Second Corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 is where I was as a man thinks in his heart so if he thinks he's got a lot of time guess what look at this verse 
We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Not tomorrow, but now. When I hear about saving grace, it's time for me to receive saving grace and accept Christ as my Savior. But look at James chapter 4 and verse 14 also. Whereas you know not what which shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little while, then it vanishes away. What he's saying is this, there are two aspects to our lives, the visible and the invisible. The vapor is visible for a little while, then it vanishes away and goes to the realm of inv invisibility, right? So our lives touch two realms, the present realm and also the future realm in which we can't see, it's, it's invisible. Remember the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18, while we look not at things seen, but the things not seen, the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Things that are seen are subject to change, but things that are not seen are eternal, not subject to change. So in other words, we're living our lives in the now with an understanding that there is an eternity that I'm going to be entering into. And the way I live my life in the now will determine the kind of life I have in eternity. So it's important for me to live my life every single day as a servant of the Most High God, serving Him, honoring Him, obeying Him, meeting His expectations, carrying out business for Him upon the earth. Why? Because I know one day I'm going to leave this realm and go into eternity. And so therefore, in that place, I'm going to have a glorious resurrection, don't you? Oh, you're so enthusiastic this morning. I mean, I couldn't help but the... <laughs> don't you want to have a wonderful resurrection? And those that lead more to Christ are going to do what? They're going to shine like the stars of heaven. So in other words, he's telling us, look, don't have that kind of a mindset. Don't think we've got a long time because you see, let's just say that someone says there, it'll be, I believe, in deathbed uh, conversions or new births taking place on a deathbed. I rejoice in that. I remember one day I was talking to some ladies who was in her late 80s and she was about to die. And I mean she was about to die. As I look back on it, it was two days. She was going to die. And the day before, I visited her and said to her, you know, are you saved? Uh, no, no, I'm not that kind of person. I said, oh, well, you realize that you're going to enter into eternity here for in a, in not too long from now. And I gave her the whole methods of salvation you know what she did when i got done i said would you like to make christ your savior she goes i need some time to think about it come back tomorrow and i'll answer that okay so i went back the next day and i said to her well what do you think she goes, I've thought about it. I live my life for myself the way I want to live my, my, for myself. It's about time I do something for someone else. I believe I'll accept Jesus and make him my savior. So I led her in a sinner's prayer. She died that night. That close to eternity in a lake of fire. In a heartbeat away. I got to think about it. Number two. This, this evil servant, Jesus said, really an unwise servant, unfaithful servant. He also has this, understand, his mindset. He refused to walk in love. Remember he said he begins to just fight with everybody? He refused to walk in love. I want you to see this. That says Second Peter, but that's supposed to be First Peter 1 Peter 1.22, not Second Peter. So you could correct that in your notes. We all make mistakes. That was mine. Seeing... <laughs> You have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart. Notice the word fervently. 
It means passionately. It means enthusiastically. And if you take that same word fervently, and you see it in, in the third chapter where he talks about, uh, Second Peter in the third chapter where he talks about this whole world is going to melt with a fervent heat. It's the same Greek word fervent. It means uh, white heated like a welding type of heat when you see that white light bright heat love each other fervently this guy wouldn't love as he's supposed to love so number one he has a wrong mindset because he thinks he's got a long time to get it right with God number two he's not walking in love toward the brethren because he, obviously he feels he's got a long time to get it right with God so he doesn't have to do it so he's not doing it but then thirdly gravitates toward worldly living number three gravitated toward worldly living notice in exodus chapter 32 this is a classic and perfect example of what can take place even in a believer's life even after they've seen outstanding miracles by the hand of god this is moses he's going up to mount sinai so you could just use this as a type the master's away He's going to delay his coming. He goes up there to get the law on Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 32. He's going to delay his coming because he's there with the Lord for 40 days, right? Okay, let's read it. When the people saw, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves up together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For this Moses, for as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. He's been away for so long, it might have been a week already, maybe two weeks, who knows how long it was at this particular time. We don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons, of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it in a mal to molten calf. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said tomorrow is a feast to the Lord and they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and to drink notice they sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play and the Lord said unto Moses go get thee down for thy people thy people notice he didn't take ownership of those people did you notice that he didn't say my people your people which thou brought us up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. The point is, Jesus has been away for 2,000 years. People are expecting him to come back, but he's delayed his coming. He delayed his coming because we're told in Scripture he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth, which means he's waiting for people to get saved and come into the kingdom, right? And so while he's away, we're supposed to be like the wise and faithful servant that realizes he can come any moment and live our lives with that mindset, but not be like this guy who says he's going to be away for a long time. So what did they do? They began to eat and drink and rose up to play. And what did Jesus say about this unfaithful servant, this evil servant? He began to eat and drink with worldly people. In other words, he began to act like the world. 
lived like the world. And as a result, he's not happy with him. So the third thing is, is he's going to be judged. But first of all, look, look at Second Peter. I was apprehensive about reading this, but I'm going to do it. Do I have your permission to do it? Thank you, Aaron. Look, look at Second Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you, or a servant. When, and when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it, and then reject the command they, they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and another says a washed pig returns to the mud. Now, you go to some commentaries, they say that person was never saved. I don't buy that. I don't buy that because of the words that are used. The word for knowledge is epignosco. Epignosco. Epignosco is the same word that's found, you shall know the truth. If you continue my, in my word, you're my disciple indeed. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So that Greek word that's talking about know so, you shall know, is talking about knowledge that perfectly unites the subject with the object. In other words, you enter into the knowledge. So when it says that he knew him, they knew him, they knew the way, they participated in it. And this is what Adam Clark's commentary is on that section of scripture. And if you don't know Adam Clark, he's, he was a British uh, theologian and Greek scholar. And he, he was born in Ireland. He died, I think, in London in the 1800s. But he was very skilled and gifted with the Greek language. Here's what he says on the, on the comment. Here is a sad proof of the possibility of falling from grace. And from the very high degrees of it, too. These had escaped the contagion that was in the world. They had had true repentance and cast up their sour, sweet morsel of sin. They had been washed from all their filthiness. And this must have been through the blood of the Lamb. Yet after all, they went back and entangled with their old sins, swallowed down their formerly rejected lusts, and re-wallowed in the mire of corruption. It is no wonder that God should say the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Reason and nature say it must be so, and divine justice says it ought to be so, and the person himself must confess that it is right that it should be so. But how dreadful is this state? How dangerous when the person has abandoned himself to his old sins? Yet it is not said that it is impossible for him to return to his maker. Uh, though the case is deplorable, it's not utterly hopeless. The leper may be clean, may be made clean. The dead may be raised. Reader, if thy backsliding is a grief and burden to thee, then you're not far from the kingdom of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved as well. So what he was saying is, it's still time to get it right. But we're living at a time right now, theologically, when you've heard so the, all these teachings on excessive grace. Excessive grace means once you're saved, you're always, your sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future doesn't matter how you live or what you do. But beloved, I don't buy that. And I'm teaching us all not to buy that. God wants us to live a holy life. Can you say amen to that? All right, let's close with the meaning of the parable. Number one, we should all live in a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency. Let that light your fire. I'm telling you, you hear me say this over and over again. I can pull out my phone. I can show you the text that I get from Andrew on my phone. We were at the Y yesterday. And I was down doing the... Uh, weightlifting and all that he's up walking on the walking track then finally he came down 
and I was on the uh, power mill, whatever. And as as I got done, he he said, "Dad, I got to tell you something." When you're when you're done with that, I said, "Okay, what do you want, son?" He said, "I was walking around that track, and I noticed that there were a, a few, couple of guys behind me that were around my age." He said, "So I slowed down, I let them catch up to me, and say, hey, hey guys, would you like to hear something?'" They said, "What?" Jesus loves you. He cares about you. Has a plan for your life. And he began to witness to these two. That he never heard. Never knew about Jesus. He said did I do the right thing dad? I said yeah. I said you sowed the seed. I said someone will come along and water it. He goes they might come into the kingdom. I said absolutely. Absolutely they might come into the kingdom. He's concerned about everyone being saved. Actually it's a twofold thing. He wants them to be saved. But he wants Jesus to come fast. I think the latter one he wants more. <laughs> he wants ever Jesus to come fast. Look at Second Peter chapter 3. 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In which the heavens shall pass away with the great noise. And the elements shall melt with a. There it is. Fervent heat. The earth also. And the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of, of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless we according to his promise. Look for a new heavens and a new earth. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. I think that's pretty clear wouldn't you say. Absolutely. I, I don't know why we don't hear a lot of this teaching anymore today. I think everybody just wants to fill their churches with people with teaching them things that they want to hear. You're okay. Live the way you want to live. Do what you want to do. I don't buy that. Number two. Associate with people of like precious faith. Oh, that's why we're here. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're people of like precious faith. We are to be encouraging each other to serve God, to walk with God, to honor God, to live right with for Him. Can you say amen to that? If after the matter of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it me if, we, if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink. You notice eat and drink? Did you notice eat and drink every time we said eat and drink? In Exodus, eat and drink. They began to eat and drink and play. Remember that? And he told in Matthew 24, what did he say? That the guy began to eat and drink with the people of the world, right? Notice what Paul says. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. That's deception. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some of not the knowledge of God I speak this to your shame. What is he saying? Who you hang out with is what you will become. And I guarantee you if you're a weak Christian. And you hang out with a strong sinner. You following me? Your flesh. You've got the devil against you. You've got the world against you. You've got the flesh against you. You'll gravitate toward that, that kind of worldly living. Anyone could and anyone would. Unless you're strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And that's why we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're not to gravitate toward the world or the things that are in the world. Because that's the lust of the eyes, flesh and the pride of life. God doesn't like that. That's of the, of the world. Number three. Indifference is dangerous. Indifference. What does it mean? Indifference. Not interested. It means you're apathetic. Not interested or concerned about the master's return. He wasn't concerned that he's going to come. He wasn't living with expectancy. Making decisions based on he may not come tonight or tomorrow. Anyone can say that. Andrew tells me that every day. Dad, it's been 2,000 years. We're going to have to wait another 2,000 years for him to come. I said, son, he can come tonight. You've been saying that for a year. 
It's true he can come tonight. You're supposed to live your life with expectancy. He could come tonight. So you base your choices, your decisions, your attitudes, the thing that you do on the fact that he might come tonight. Make your decision to live right. And that's our conclusion. He's coming as a thief in the night when no one's going to expect him. And here's the question. Are we ready? And are we faithfully serving him with our lives?